Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and we've been working our way through the track sessions from last year's Disciple Making Forum. And up next, we have track sessions coming up from Renew.org. But these are special sessions because they were given to us by the Renew.org women. They spoke to us about the importance of having correct theology, making disciples in women's ministry, handling conflict, being pastor's wives, and listening to the Holy Spirit, and walking in obedience. These were some great talks that they gave us, so I encourage you to check them all out and to share them with the people in your life that you believe will benefit from them. Renew exists to renew the teachings of Jesus in order to fuel disciple making. So make sure you put Renew.org on your list of resources to help you follow Jesus and make disciples. All right, y'all, let's jump into the episode. And I'm with uh, Renew.org Women's uh, Track, and so we are welcome. If you've been here for the other tracks, thank you for coming back. Um, I'm sorry you're going to hear kind of the same little spiel at the beginning as you usually do, except I'll tell why I love Renee, not why I love all the other ones. Uh, this one, but, um, I do a little different introduction than the other ones. Uh, my husband is a track leader, and he's like memorizing his introduction for his speakers because he doesn't know them, and I was like, well, I know my speaker, but I'm also not going to tell them about themselves. I'm going to tell them why I love them. Um, but if you're not familiar with Renew.org, um, we are basically a network of churches that is trying to renew the teachings of Jesus through disciple making. So um, I've got a flyer in the back there on that back the little stand. If you just want to know kind of what we believe, the biggest thing, honestly, for y'all to renew He's got a bunch of free resources on there. Yep. So does yes. discipleship.org. Yeah. Go to those places. Mm-hmm. I trust it. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to find places where mm-hmm. you really trust the theology. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are free downloadable books. Yep. There are podcasts galore. There are interviews. There are all sorts of things. Um, go there. Take what you want. Um, share it with others um, for sure. And the books that are on there, um, if you, you can buy them through there, um, or a lot of them you can just get on Amazon too. So, um, either way. So I just recommend that you go to Renee. Um, Maya here is our, I like to call her our room mom because everybody in here knows what a room mom is. Uh, so she's been blessing us with kind of taking care of us in here and she's going to pray for Renee. But I want to tell you how our kind of track got started was, Bobby came to me and said, we, we definitely want a women's track for Renew. Can you figure it out? <laughs> uh, I also worked for the church full time, too. So I was like, well, yeah, awesome. He's like, I know you're going to pray about it. I know. Just tell me what your ideas are. So in two weeks, I got back on the phone with him. And, and I was like, well, these are the speakers I want. And these are the topics that I want. And he's like, wow, well, that sounds great. Awesome. See if they'll do it. So um, the cool part about it is all the speakers that I asked said yes. And Renee was one of those people. And the reason why I wanted Renee to come speak about the Holy Spirit was because when she starts talking about the ways that her life has moved in different directions, it is obvious that she listens to the Holy Spirit and obeys it because it is things that you would not expect that she has gotten involved in and gone in full feet, you know, both feet she's gotten in. You know, and even the beautiful part of Renee is she says yes. And then she says, well, or give me a reason, the Holy Spirit, why I should say no. Instead of going, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I don't have the resources for that. I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, even just as much as a lot of you probably saw her on stage yesterday afternoon, late afternoon, Ariana was supposed to be able to be here, and she couldn't because she's taking care of an elderly parent, which I totally get because I do the same thing. Sometimes that just happens, whoop. Gotta go, you know, because that happens. And, and unfortunately, that's what had to happen to Ariana just last week. Her mom got quite ill. And the first thing when, when actually Gary got the call, who's, who works uh, with Sasha.org, found out about it, the first thing that came to mind is, well, call Renee. She'd be perfect for that topic. And he's like, let's pray. She says yes. And I was like, Renee will say yes. Um, because what she understands and brings to the table is that this is kingdom work. And so she is working for the kingdom. And that means the kids of the kingdom, the women of the kingdom, um, the whole kingdom. So that's what I love about Renee and why I'm so grateful that she's here talking to you guys today um, about the Holy Spirit and how to use that um, and let it guide you and be obedient to it. Well, I'm so excited to be here talking to you all today about does God care if we listen? And the answer to that, spoiler alert, is yes, he does care. Um, 
Michelle asked if I would just tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just a little bit south of here. And I married my husband, David, in May of 1992. And we began homeschooling our two children in 2005. That was probably one of my first um, moments of really understanding what it meant to listen to the Holy Spirit and um, saying yes to that. And then uh, we did that till they graduated in 2016 and 2019. We have a daughter, Emma, married to Thomas, and they just had their first baby this May. And we have a son, Houston, married to Caitlin, and they got married last year, um, 2020, December of 2020. We somehow made it through <laughs> with COVID. We got them married. I wrote a book for Renew um, called On Gender, What the Bible Says About Men and Women and Why It Matters. And um, that was a real blessing to me to get in there and, um, and study that. I uh, also co-host a podcast with one of my dear friends, Bonnie Blaylock. Um, it's called Just Ask Your Mom. And we've taught parenting classes together for over 20 years. If you do the math, you're like, Renee, your kids are 21 and 24. Well, we were just teaching it so we would practice like what we were learning. And it was like, it, we didn't know what we were doing. We'd just go home and try it and come back and regroup and say how that went. That didn't go so well, or this went pretty well. But now we have a little bit of street cred because the kids are grown and well-adjusted and follow the Lord. And so um, we just found that there's more and more and more young families who are coming to our parenting classes whose families have really, really let them down. Mm. And they can't ask their mom. Mm. So um, we, we thought, okay, um, we want to bless these women with the mistakes we've made so they don't make them and the things we've learned and the successes we've had. So that's why we do that. So let's get into our lesson. In May of 2017, the satirical Christian website, the Babylon Bee, published this headline. Man sitting literally three feet away from Bible asks God to speak to him. I know, I love this. The article began, according to sources, local man Steve Harrison fervently prayed Thursday that the Lord would speak to him and make his will for this man's life clear all while literally sitting three feet away from God's word as revealed in the Bible. Father God, if you would just speak to me, Father God, Harrison prayed as God's prophetic word made more sure, sat at the other end of the table where he sat. If you would just show me your plan for my life and reveal your truth to me, Father God, he prayed, somehow missing the fact that God's truth had already been perfectly revealed to him in the scriptures. I just really need you to speak to me personally, Lord. At publishing time, sources had confirmed that a frustrated Harrison eventually gave up on trying to hear God's words and resigned himself to read the Bible instead. <laughs> like all good satire, the Babylon Bee used wit to expose some wrong thinking. What they're critiquing is how we hear from God and how we can know his will. Is everything just predetermined? Do we simply pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us? What role does scripture play in our everyday lives? So today I wanna to explain three facets of the will of God. And then I wanna talk about four ways we practically listen to God and obey his will. So this is the big picture, understanding the will of God. In terms of thinking of the will of God, there's one aspect that's called the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God is God's right and power to act in our lives. John Piper puts it this way, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. In chapter 42 in the book of Job, he replies to the Lord, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's one way of describing the sovereign will of God. It's God's right and power. When he decides to do a thing, no one can stop him. So in Genesis 1, when God commands um, the light to shine, God says, let there be light. The lights come on. Uh, this is God's sovereign will. God doesn't persuade the light to shine. He doesn't negotiate with the elemental powers of the universe for them to shine. He has the right and the power to do this. Luke is fond of speaking of the sovereign will of God and in sending the Christ. We read about this in Acts, and he writes this, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, 
you crucified and killed. But this is just one facet of God's will, the sovereign will of God. There's also the moral will of God. And this one, you probably could just tell me what it is. It's what God wants us to do, right? The precepts, the statutes, the commandments that he delivers to his people, that's the moral will of God. They express and reveal to us what's right and proper for us to do. God's moral will is what should govern our lives. Psalm 19, one of my favorite psalms, it's the glorious um, song about God's word, about his moral will revealed to us. The first four verses say, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. So in terms of God's moral will, we don't have to wonder if we should honor our parents, gossip with our friends, get drunk, tell the truth, work hard so we can share with others. We don't have to wonder if we should submit to our husbands and respect them. We don't have to wonder if we should love our enemies or forgive people. God's moral will in scripture makes that perfectly clear. And then the third part of the will of God is God's providential will. And this is where we kind of want to move into today, because I think that's what you're asking when you're, when you're asking, what does God want me to do? The providential will of God is where God takes our choices and uses them for good. John Piper, again, says, Providence is the sovereign will of God in the service of wise purposes. Or you could say it's wise and purposeful sovereignty. So we see this in the story of Joseph and his brothers. The brothers, out of jealousy and greed, consigned their innocent brother to slavery in Egypt. At their reunion, many years later, upon the confession of sin made by the brothers, Joseph says, it's a very famous passage, you could probably quote it with me, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is the inscrutable majesty of God's providence. He made use of human evil to bring about his good purposes. They sinned against their brother, yet God used it to bless an entire nation. And then um, another way, I love thinking of the providence of God this way. It's God seeing to everything. So if you had a good mother or a good father, um, one of the blessings of childhood is that you know your parents are going to see to everything. They're going to see that you have food. They're going to see that you have clothes. They're going to see that you're loved. So that's the providence of God. It's absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes. God will see to it that it happens. And Isaiah describes it this way. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. In other words, I will see to it. So the moral will of God, the sovereign will of God, the providential will of God. Now, we've got that straight. Let's talk more on understanding the will of God in our everyday lives, how we listen and we act according to God's will. And then I'll illustrate this with a personal story or two. All right, we know God's will by reading scripture and obeying it. We know God's will by being led by the Spirit. We know God's will by wise counsel. And we know God's will by practicing faithfulness. I'll just unpack these briefly. All right, we read scripture and obey it. As the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, Moses implored them, Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you. Now later, that was chapter four, later in Deuteronomy six, Moses is going to instruct the Israelites to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength. The instructions connected to this call of love are talking about teaching your children about Scripture. So part of loving God well is actually obeying His Scripture. It draws our heart toward our Father, which is why in my talk last night, when I talked about um, 
the seeds of stability that you want to plant, the obedience is right in there for me in those first years. It's just critical to draw the heart of the child to the parent. And that's what we're supposed to be mitigating, right? We're supposed to be acting like God the Father to our children, which is a daunting thought. <laughs> it's a huge task. And so we want to balance this love and obedience that God displays for us in Scripture. But the problem is our affections are disordered. Now, you know this if you've walked into a um, toddler nursery at your church. We like our sin. Pull the little teachers out of the toddler nursery, they're going to kill each other. They'll steal their toys from each other. They'll hit each other over the head. I mean, there'll be some acts of kindness as well. But we know deep down in our hearts we love our sin. That's why we do it. It's because we get something from it. So we have to learn to love holiness. And Scripture reveals what holiness looks like. We put to death the misdeeds of the body, as Paul says it in Romans 8. But we don't just white-knuckle our way to obedience. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is point two. Now that you've got some scripture in your heart and your soul and your mind, the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Be led by the Spirit and obey. J.D. Greer wrote a great little book entitled, Jesus Continued, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. He's addressing readers who want to know God intimately and not just intellectually, who are weary of working for God instead of with God. He writes about this in terms of being led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not just give us a book of things to believe and tasks to execute, called us to follow, <clears throat> to walk with him, to interact with him, to live in his power. Anything short of this is not true Christian discipleship. There is a profound and inseparable unity between biblical depth and spirit-filled living. By going deep into the gospel, you become alive in the spirit. By the spirit, the pull of the flesh, the things we are supposed to do to obey, we can do them. We can say no to the things of evil, and we can say yes to the things that are good and true and holy. It's sort of like, um, I'm a child of the 80s and the Just Say No to Drugs campaign, right? Unlike that campaign, <laughs> and really in that campaign, I work with um, women coming out of prison and who have addiction. You cannot just say no. And without the power of the Spirit, the odds are so against you <laughs> to say no and be successful. It will never, I have not seen it, allow you to consistently overcome sin. A spirit void saying no. It just doesn't work. You have to say no by the Spirit and say yes by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will lead us broadly always in God's Word. But he'll also lead us more specifically in the particular details of our lives. He always mitigates, he always uses his, his word, which was re revealed by the prophets through his, the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to prayerfully, humbly, wisely apply these words and the Holy Spirit's promptings in our lives. All right, so Greer has a great um, couple of examples that really help flesh this out in my mind. Uh, and I want to just read it to you. So. Seek the Spirit in the Word. I've said that like five times now. <laughs> Seek the Spirit in the Word. His guidance functions something like steering a bicycle. It only works once you're moving. The Spirit steers you as you obey God's commands. You start pedaling in obedience. He'll start directing you. Or here's another way to think about it. The Spirit of God draws upon our knowledge of the Word of God to counsel and encourage us, like a gunner draws upon a stash of ammunition. If no ammunition waits in the chamber, the gunner has nothing to work with. The most powerful gun with no ammunition is impotent. If you want to be led by the Spirit of God, devote yourself to the Word of God. In Acts 1, Luke says that in his former book, the Gospel of Luke, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. 
The implication is that in Acts, where it's recording what Jesus continues to do through his church. It's not that in the Gospels Jesus worked, and now we, in his absence, work for him. During his incarnation, he worked through a human body, and now, as he's seated at the right hand of God, he works through his body on earth, through us, his church. So if we want to see God's power in our homes and in our churches, we need to teach people to listen to the Holy Spirit and closely follow his guidance in the grounding of the word. Give him something to work with. Pedal the bike. Load the gun. Don't just think up a bunch of good ideas for ministry. Tune your heart to God and let God give you some ideas for ministry. Number three, seek godly counsel. So some of the most um, meme-worthy passages in Scripture are from Proverbs. I need somebody to make a bunch of memes from Proverbs. There's some awesome stuff in there. At Proverbs, I have a friend... She has seven kids, and um, when they would be like characterized by disobeying in a particular area of their lives, you know, again and again and again, she would just make them go into timeout, and they had to read all 31 chapters of Proverbs, and then they could come back and like continue their day. Do you know how many Proverbs those kids have memorized? There's like so much wisdom poured into their little brains. Well, there's several Proverbs about seeking godly counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 13, 10, Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 19, 20, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and at the end you'll be counted among the wise. And Proverbs 20, 18, Plans are established by seeking advice. So once you've read scripture, and you're being prompted by the Holy Spirit, and it's a bigger decision, seek wise counsel. But not just any counsel, godly counsel. And young women in your 20s, maybe even in your early 30s, you don't generally want to ask someone your own age. You need to look for someone who's lived a little bit longer. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. So we, we, okay, we omit the bad company, but now how do we choose godly counsel? First of all, I'd just say choose somebody who's more mature in the faith than you are, who can give you insight into the situation, and it's really helpful if they know you. They kind of know your disposition. They know um, where you're inclined to sin, what your strengths are, who can give you um, a wise perspective. A few things you're going to want to be looking for is knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then experience. They need to have lived a little bit of life. In 1 Timothy 3, where Paul um, Paul's telling Timothy, okay, here's the qualifications for elders. Here's what they need to look like. He says in verse 6, they don't need to be new in their faith because they're going to get conceited and think like they're better than they are, that they're more wise than they are. You need someone with experience. And when you put knowledge and experience together, you get wisdom. Wisdom is just knowledge coupled with experience. Uh, Paul says it like this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So don't use worldly standards. Find someone who's been walking with the Lord, who has knowledge and experience that are brought together that bring wisdom. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, Renee, I, I don't know. I can't find godly counsel. Ask God. You know you're in line with his will if you're asking that because we just read four Proverbs that told you all the benefits of looking for godly wisdom. That's a prayer he wants to answer. So ask God. So the fourth one is to practice faithfulness. So you've read God's word, you're being prompted by the Spirit, which looks different in everybody, by the way. Like some people get heart palpitations, sometimes it's a niggling thought over and over again, sometimes it's a repeated word from the Lord in a song, and then it's your devotional that morning, and then the preacher preaches on it. There's lots of different ways that the Holy Spirit can draw you um, into where He wants you to be. But once you've done that, 
and you've sought godly counsel, you need to practice faithfulness. So if your personality is like gregarious and you love people, your temptation might be to like, just keep asking. I'm going to ask them and I'm going to ask them and I'm going to ask them. Like at some point, okay, you don't need any more godly counsel. You just need to actually go faithfully obey. (laughs) And then on the other hand, self-assured, kind of independent kind of people, you may just want to go your own way. You study the scriptures, you're, you're led by the Spirit, and you're like, I can skip the gully council part. I know what I'm doing here. I'm good to go. So just know yourself. That's all I'm saying. Just know yourself, what your temptations may be to kind of derail this process. And faithfulness, faithfulness means we obey even when it's hard. So I probably will cry now because <laughs> I'm going to tell you a tale of two families. Um. We started a small group Bible study. I asked my husband this morning, when did we start that small group Bible study? I think it was like 1995, maybe 1994. We'd been married a couple of years. And there's, you know how churches do. You get a new crop of like newlyweds and they don't have a place to go. And so we all ended up together. And we started a, we started a small group Bible study. And we ended up being together for 12 years until we moved away to Indianapolis. And they continued on. So this was our people. This was our family. Like, we started having children one by one, and we just kept meeting every other Tuesday, 7 o'clock. We'd put our children down to bed, and we'd stay 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Our children ended up sleeping in bathtubs and on the floor because eventually you run out of beds and couches and everything. So these were our people. These were our people. And um, if you're in the, like, preschool, elementary years, um, those are sweet, sweet years. And you look around you and you just think, like, the trajectory is good for each of these children. Like, these parents are getting it done. But, you know, life comes along and hard things happen. We live in a fallen world and hard things happen. So we moved away in 2005. And um, probably about three years later, so 2008, Uh, we get a call that one of our dear friends from that Bible study had, it was Christmas time, and she was a nurse practitioner, and she was at work, and as she was listening to someone, it sounded like um, garbled, like their words just turned garbled. And she was like, she's a nurse, she knows that's not good. Um, She was adopted, so she didn't really have um, a health history. But what, it, what they ended up diagnosing her with was a very strongly tied genetic brain tumor. So likely um, her parents um, or her grandparents had this. When she was in chemo treatment, she met um, sons and parents who were both going through treatment. Very genetically tied. So that wasn't good. And uh, we were living in North Carolina, and I was actually relieved that I didn't have to watch that up close and was ashamed for that thought. But um, our small group got it done. They just did life with her. And as she slowly became less and less of herself, as that brain tumor took over, they stepped in and they ministered to the family. And they were even with her two years later when she passed away. And they had two small boys who were dear friends of my two kids. And these was people we saw. Every time we come back to visit, we saw them. Like, we, we were there. They were our people. And um, I, just, I can't imagine what those boys went through watching their mom die like that. And then we moved back to Murfreesboro in 2011. And um, I guess our daughter was eighth grade and our son was sixth grade. And they start, we pick right back up, you know, with our friends and, and our, you know, and people, but people change. And things had changed for them. Um, right when we got back, um, their dad, we actually got to go. Their dad married. Married a woman who never said, said she didn't want any children. And, um, and the boys were very unhappy. They were so unhappy. Um, in his grief, he didn't get them the counseling that they needed. 
He just thought they'll be okay. They'll be okay. They were not okay. And my kids kept reporting back to me how unhappy they were. They would talk to them and I would say, wow, that's really sad. That's really sad. I, um, I probably should do something about that, but it's, actually it's probably none of my business. It was a very American way to think, um, not a godly body of Christ way to think. And so I did nothing. And things did not go well for those boys. All kinds of rebellion and hurt were being acted out in their lives. And so when the next family from our small group began to go through a terrible divorce, and then the mom remarried, and within six months was divorcing again, her two daughters, who were in our group, were not doing well. They were not doing well. And I saw it happening. Since these were girls, it was um, different behaviors, lots of inappropriate behaviors with boys and seeking that affection and love that they were missing from the men in their lives. And I, uh, I said, the Holy Spirit said, not this time. And so I went to her mother, one of the older girls' mother, and I said, can I get in your business? <laughs> can, I go, can I go after your child and try to help? And she said, yes, please do. And so we went to coffee, and it began a friendship. She was a senior in high school. She had a boyfriend who, by the grace of the Lord, dumped her. <laughs> and she was very unhappy. Praise God. You can pray against that, by the way. If you got people in your kids' lives, just pray them out. Pray them out. My nephew, I prayed out three girlfriends. Praise the Lord. Just do it. So he dumped her, and um, we just began a relationship. She was going to the local college, and um, we lived near the college, and she lived way across town. So it's going to be like 30, 40-minute drive for her to get to school. And I said, okay, David, my husband, what did you think about letting her move into Emma's old bedroom, like at least part-time? And um, our son was still at home. They'd known each other their whole lives and grown up together. That sounds a little bit weird, but she was so extroverted. Our son was, like, not attracted to her at all. You just pray against that. So... Um, because they would have both have been upstairs. And my David was like, okay, like we can, yeah, she can sleep here. You know, if she needs to sleep here, she's living at home with her mom. Things are terrible at home with her mom, as, lo as they are with lots of girls who are 18 with their mothers. And um, God was just speaking to me, like, show her, you can show her what a marriage is actually supposed to look like. That's not just patting myself on the back. God's just blessed us with it. We're very compatible. We have a really, our marriage is a blessing and a joy. And so, um, and so I said, hey, if you have any eight o'clock classes next semester, your first semester, why don't you just, you can sleep at our house and you'll be like, you can sleep in later and you can just like be 10 minutes away, right? And so she books all eight o'clock classes because <laughs> <laughs> she wants out of the house. <laughs> so, um, so she's with us like four nights a week and with her mom three nights a week. And things just continue to deteriorate at home. Um, she's super teachable. We, we get her into counseling. I mean, she has to call. She's 18. We do some hand-holding, and she calls, and we're working through the Boundaries book, and she finds a campus ministry, and she's living with us. And things are really, like, like, like she's, she's like, um, I'm the worst gardener, and the plants in my house always turn yellow and get, like, really droopy. And she was like that when she came to us. And it was just like we put her in a window. And you put just a little bit of water in there, and she just started to stand up taller and um, release some of that angst and anger. And, um, and so at Christmas that year, we decided to just have a sit down with her mom and say, you know, we just think it's better if she just moves in with us so that you all can work on your relationship without conflict so that we can bring you back together. She agreed, and so the next year and a half, she lived with us. Now, um, like a lot of people who speak, like I'm an introvert. I, like I, we literally bought a house with um, woods behind us. We don't own the woods, but I just knew like the county 
uh, requirements wouldn't allow anybody to build behind us. Because <laughs> when I come home, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to know my neighbors. God forgive me. But like, I don't want to talk to anybody. When I get home, that's my place. We moved in the most extroverted extrovert who has to verbally process every part <laughs> of her life before she can, you know, think through what to do next. So we moved her in, and I just got to tell you, God provides. He just provides. I look back on those times, I'm like, how did I do that? How is I not constantly exhausted? How 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 is it not only not a burden but a blessing? Like she ended up blessing us just as much as we blessed her, and she um, has made good decision after good decision after good decision. She's cutting off generational sin from her grandparents and her parents. She's just blossoming. And all, all I did, all my husband and I did, was repent of the wrong behavior the first time around and say yes to the Holy Spirit's little tap the second time around. It's so worth it, you guys. People are dying. They're dying for relationship, to know the Lord in a real, intangible way, to understand the commitment of God to us through our marriages, through our relationships. Saying yes to God is the least boring way to live. It is the least boring. It's the most exciting way to live. But we have to put those bullets in the car, in the chamber, whatever. My husband's a gun instructor. He'd be appalled. What's that called? The clip. The clip. Put the bullets in the clip so that he can use it. So I knew better, right? I knew about the body of Christ. I knew how Paul wrote about that. I knew about um, correcting another brother or sister who's in sin. We had some really hard conversations with her mom. And that part of the story didn't go so well. But God's faithful. He still draws us. He's still calling each one of us. And I think her story's not over either. So I guess what I want to say is that, yes, there's a sovereign will of God. There are certain things that God is going to decree and that are unchangeable. But in terms of the moral will of God and the providential will of God, open yourself up to it. Let the Holy Spirit invite you into places where you feel unequipped, where you feel like a terrible fit for your disposition or your giftings. I mean, God is kind. He'll sometimes move you in a place of your gifting. But from my experience, <laughs> a lot of times, no, because then you know it's Him. You know it's Him. It's not you. It's, it really does protect us from pride. The Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts. And in 36 of those appearances, he's speaking. Has he ceased doing that today? I would say no. He's still tapping us on the shoulder. He's still whispering in our ears. He's still giving us dreams and visions and using God's word to show us the path ahead. So does God care if we listen? Yes. So I wanna encourage you to be blessed and move into those places where He's calling you to trust Him and obey Him in faithfulness. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. 
So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. That's the end of my talk, but I'm certainly open for questions. We have about 20 minutes, 15 minutes. If you have anything you want to ask. Yeah, J.D. Greer, why the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. It's kind of inflammatory, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, it's what Jesus said, you know, it's better for me to leave you so that I can send the counselor. The title comes from that, from that scripture. Greer is G-R-E-E-A-R. He's a Baptist minister, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus Continued. Yeah, if you type in Jesus Continued, it should pop up. And the subtitle is what you Yeah, yeah. Well, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Great. He's a great communicator. And um, it, really, I, it really wasn't where I thought it, uh, he was going to go with that book. I've read, I've read all kinds of stuff about the Holy Spirit because I didn't really know about it, even though it's on every other page of Scripture, until <laughs> I was about 30 and wondering why I was exhausted, white-knuckling my way to obedience. And then I was like, oh, I'm trying to push the car instead of actually put gas in it and drive it. So, yeah. Yes. I just love how you talked about to say yes, um, unless God tells you to say no. Because I've noticed <laughs> I've changed my prayers. Like, God, you're leading me to do this. Yes. Yeah, show me that you want me to do it. Instead of saying, I'm going to do this because it lines up with your word. Mm -hmm. and it lines up with what I think I'm mm -hmm. hearing, mm -hmm. unless you tell me not to. Yes. I had a recent example where um, our neighbors there, one of the neighbors, their mother's dying. And I work three days a week at that. I, I, she's dying any day, and I need to be planning to take a dinner. For me, taking a dinner is a huge thing for some reason. I don't even get my mom a table. <laughs> but anyway, and I heard the Lord just say, you don't have to wait until she dies. Oh, I'm off today. I'll, get, I'll figure something yes. out. I don't need much meat, so I'm going yes. on and trying to have a vegan vegetable soup or something. Yeah. Whipped it, got to the grocery store, got the stuff, whipped it up, had to be somewhere at three, and, and texted out, I'm bringing some soup over if you don't want it, yes. you can eat it later. Yes. And um, and I had a box of gingerbread in the pantry, put that together, some crusty bread, and off I went. And they texted me later that night, and I don't think they're believers, and I'm just trying to find ways to just share that love to them. She said, um, thank you for that soul-nourishing soup. Mm -hmm. It was delicious. And mama, that's what they call grandma. Mm -hmm. um, Gingerbread is her favorite. Oh. And she had a few. And I was like, God, you are so good. In the details. Yes. And he blessed it. Yes. And, like, and, it, and, it, and I, I think the scripture that keeps coming to me is like, his commandments are not burdensome. Mm -hmm. exactly. mm -hmm. To me, making a meal was burdensome. <laughs> and like, well, she showed me. Yes. If I follow you, it's not burdensome. So I was. Amen. I mean, honestly, I feel, I just shudder to think if I'd said no to um this young woman like it i would have missed out on all the joy all the joy and he is in the details gingerbread i love that <laughs> so good so good Oh no, it's hard. Anybody else? Any questions or want to share an encouraging thought about listening to the Holy Spirit? Anybody else like come to it late like me? Or anybody else trying to figure it out? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think it depends on your faith tradition. And what was emphasized, so I got a, a very good grounding in um, just learning scripture and obeying scripture, but without the without mm -hmm. the um, right. elimination of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Well, I just wanted to share. It's not so much a question, but just thank you for like creating even the structure of the facets of the will of God, and then for ways that we can listen and obey, because I think it's very practical. Because for me, I need to know, or it helps me to know the big picture. You know, and I, I think sometimes I um, I meld the sovereign and the moral and the providential will of God into what is the will of God, but to be think, be able to think yeah. about it in those terms and how we can open up ourselves to the second part, the moral part and the providential, which in, involves us, that God wants to involve us in his will, which is really inspiring. And I think for me, um, I just wanted to share that while it's true, like getting advice from people that are older than you, I think we can also learn from people who are younger than us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has helped me in my own 
you know, ability to listen and grow in listening to the Holy Spirit. I definitely love that it's grounded in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. like that makes me think about mm -hmm. John and how, you know, like his spirit is, comes from the Word, right? Mm -hmm. Like his spirit mm -hmm. is the Word. But um, is that she, we would, I would pray with this younger woman that I was mentoring and discipling, mm -hmm. and that we would do yoga, and then we would pray together. <laughs> and she would say, and Lord, this is what I hear from you today. And it was just so inspiring yes. to me. Yes. That I started to really quiet myself and start to think, God, what are you saying to me today? Mm -hmm. What word are you giving? Mm -hmm. Or or even what you said about how people hear the spirit differently. Mm -hmm. So whether it's that repeated word that you hear mm -hmm. or or that idea that you have when you're mm -hmm. praying or or that um the person you keep running into, you, you know, like those yes. things to be able to yes. put that on our hearts so that we can act in faithfulness. Yes. He provides those ways. So that we don't have to come up with ways yes. to be spiritual, to be godly, that he gives us those ways. Yes. But we have to actually something my husband says is, you know, taking advantage of hinge moments, like mm -hmm. looking for those open doors that God wants us to walk through. And, yes. and what you also said about how a lot of times it's not it's not going to be in line with what it comes natural to us. Sometimes mm -hmm. we have to deny ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like he says that those who follow me need to deny themselves. Mm -hmm. So. Great stuff today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked the first part because I'm like, I hope it's not too dry for you. But like, it does set up the framework for like understanding what we're talking about here because um, when you meld it, it can get a little icky. Like, um, like in t in real world situations, like the death of someone. You know, I've heard people say, "Well, that was just God's will." Like, like putting the sovereign will of God into into something that. Maybe he can work providentially and bring good from, but there's also evil. Like Joseph's brothers are is clearly in opposition to God's revealed moral will, and there's brokenness because of that. So it it, help, it makes us uh, it, from stepping on those landmines of being really terrible with people when they're hurting, um, or when we're hurting. So, and I do I love intergenerational relationships. I, I think we should do more of them because I do I talk with well, like my girl. I'm trying to be anonymous. I'm afraid it's going to be like going out, and I'm like, I don't want to be her business out everywhere. But I'm about to say her name. She's 21, and but then I work with 30 to 35 year olds, and, and then I have people older than me. It's just beautiful, and yeah, you can learn from all generations. But in terms of like her thinking about who she's going to marry, like she's not asking her girlfriends. She's asking. 35-year-olds, 50-year-olds, people who are down the road. I saw a hand in the back. Um, I was just going to say, I appreciate you bringing up scripture and thinking of, you know, the word. That's kind of how God talks to me always through scripture. And when I was really trying to learn about the Holy Spirit and kind of, you know, I was always a Christian at the same time and never understood, like, the not the complication, but the power and the relationship and the intimacy of the word and the Spirit. And so... Um, you know, I read in scripture was like wake up or sleeper, and that kind of woke me up. And um, there was one day, let me preface this with my journal. So one day I pulled up to um, a gang sushi for lunch, and I see this man who's screaming at himself. He's yelling on the top of his lungs outside of like the cooking room. And um, I'm like, I you know, walk by and I'm like, oh, so sad. You know, I go in my car and I turn on my car and I feel like this pang of nausea. And I'm like, uh, this is the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh, he's answering my prayer when I've asked, like, show me, Holy Spirit, what you are about right now. Yes. And um, and then I hear the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to go to him. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, I open the door and, like, my nausea releases. Mm -hmm. And I'm like looking at him getting screaming again. I'm like, oh, no, nope, close my door. So I do this back and forth, back and forth. I look like I'm afraid. <laughs> 15 minutes. I'm not yes. 15 minutes. Yeah. And I just hear the Holy Spirit go to him. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to go back. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I forget. Sad. I'm like, I'm just going to go back. And I set a prayer that was really powerful. And I say, continuing on, I say, okay, Lord, empty myself out. Mm -hmm. and fill me anything I do it has to be 100% mm -hmm. and when I did that I got the supernatural confidence to go up to him and just talk 
And I was like, Lord, I don't know what to say. What do you want me to do? He said, lay hands on him. Lay hands on him. I was like, no, you want me to do work. He's like, just pray for him. Ask him what he wants you to pray for. Yes. And he stopped. The whole thing is when I laid my hands on him, and then I just started praying this prayer that again I don't even remember it was 100%. I walked out of my car and okay, I guess that's it. I looked back and it was gone. And what's so funny about that is that a year later, I was compelled to tell a story to my small group of women, and there was a new believer. When I told her that story, she started bawling, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know. She's like, no, you don't understand. I grew up with a schizophrenic mom. And she's like, anybody who worked with schizophrenia knows you don't touch them, you don't talk to them, they can kill you at that point. She's like, the fact that you laid hands on him and he was peaceful, she's like, God. Like, mm. And it kind of dawned on her about God's love and like the hope mm -hmm. and like, the healing that came from it. And so, um, what it showed me was that when I don't listen to the Holy Spirit and I quench the Holy Spirit, that I am not helping self. I'm actually tying God's hand mm -hmm. and back from reaching out and helping self. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'll use somebody else, but I myself am listening on the blessing mm -hmm. to experience that help. Amen to that. It's like a whole new, so I really appreciate the scripture has confirmed it over and over and over again about yes. the severity of punching. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you for that testimony, and thank you, God, that you don't give me nausea when you make me, you, like, that I just get heart palpitations or something. Appreciate that. All right, here at the front. I just want to say thank you because of last night and yeah. today. Yeah. Um, most of you I know, I was already doing talent, and didn't want to be here. Uh -huh. um, and I was about to quit. I already told my husband, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. Uh -huh. You know, I want to quit. So, but anyway, um, we come up kids. Yeah. Because it depends on what day of the week it is, how many kids I have. Mm -hmm. I can have three up to 15. Mm -hmm. I do foster care. So, mm -hmm. uh, they tell at any moment, they bring them in, nothing on their backs. Mm -hmm. And I, a lot of those situations are horrible. Mm -hmm. No, we're not homeschool. We did it through COVID. <laughs> kids loved it. The teachers called me and told me, quit giving them so much work to do. Everybody else decided, then teach them what they need to know. Just send it home because it'll get done. Yeah. And um, the kids coming to dinner. And it's like, because she comes out. Yelling, well, nerve. <laughs> and the cooking, I'm right there with you. I have to that Yes. But you said something about the kids last night. They really tugged it off. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it depends on what day of the week it is, mm -hmm. how many kids I've got, and then all the animals. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're driving me insane. Um, but my question for you is, when you're dealing with other people's children, mm -hmm. how do you not want to pull your hair out, honestly, <laughs> besides fasting? And I've mm -hmm. never done that in my life. Thank you, ladies. I'm trying to Yes. Yes. But I do pray all the time. And mm -hmm. I talk to the kids about real life situations. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is like what they have been treated, mm -hmm. but there's the big. And there's the, I don't want to hear what you got to say. And it's like, you're going to hear what I got to say. You're my house. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot, especially when you're raising other people's mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. And when the kids are drug addicts with the draws and then mm -hmm. mentally unstable mm -hmm. and you name it, they probably have it. So, mm -hmm. um, ADHD to the CDs to the CRSs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then I have my elderly mother in danger. Mm -hmm. who has all time so that's not a helpful mm -hmm. situation either so how would you how do you deal with raising mm -hmm. the other people's children when mm -hmm. they've got attitude also yeah so um you cannot parent a child in crisis with the re regular rules what i talked about last night was like the regular rules okay. for like a healthy uh, family environment, a child you're working with from, you know, from the very beginning. So 
Um, I'm picturing, you know, to use that grapevine illustration, those vines have been untrained. They've not been trained upward. They've been trailing along the ground or climbing up whatever they can to have support. And so the regular rules do not apply. And um, you're not going to like this answer. (laughs) But you're going to have to pray and ask God to show you for each individual child. I truly believe he will show you, like, what's going on. in the heart of that child and like what they need. So like recently my dad had a health event and they still don't know what what was going on. It looked like a stroke and and like they're confused is it a stroke is it not a stroke. And um he didn't want to go get a second opinion. And this is very out of character for him. The man is like on it with his health. He's he takes care of himself and always is seeking like that next opinion and Vanderbilt's nearby and it's all the good things. He didn't want to do it. And so I was like frustrated with the doctors. Can you just give us an answer? And um, they couldn't. And so I was just asking God, give us an answer. Give us an answer. And what he said was, your dad is scared. I was asking for a diagnosis. <laughs> I was like, tell me what the diagnosis is so we can like get this moving along. Um, I think he'll do that with um, children in crisis. I work with their moms. And, and so I see it from the mom's point of view and how much they have hurt them, but how much they really did desire to love them. They just can't do it. They're just failing. They just, they're so wrapped up in Satan's schemes. They can't do it. And so it's a tragic situation. Um, but the, but you would still want to look at it through a gospel lens. How can I show this child they're beloved by God? Show me God, what's going on in the heart of that child. How are they, how, how can I communicate your love? Because, you know, we all have love languages and, and all that. And even under all that hurt, those, those things are still there. Mm-hmm. Our disposition is still there with our besetting sins and the way we receive love. Like, you're just going to have, like, I'd have to keep a notebook if I were you. Like, with each child, like, show me. Show me what's going on. So that would be my, my quick answer. And we just, um, I think we should pray for her as did well. You, did you argue yeah. with God when he said you take that girl in? <laughs> Nope, because I was the first time I saw the disaster that ensued, the crime, the drugs, the homosexual behavior, it was a, it's, a, it's wreaked havoc and it's still wreaking havoc um, in their lives. And so, no, but yes, I've had plenty of tantrums with God over other things. But, um, but that one, it was just like, wow, the stakes are high. I just, I think we should, the culture hates us. Yes. And so we have to like really dig in with each other. We have to like let, let God spill over into all our little places where we've said, this is reserved for me. Just be open to that, and what you are. <laughs> not, not like, you don't need any more spillover. But like for me, <laughs> that was what, I, that was, my house is my house, uh, this is my space, this is where I come to unwind. And God says, no, you're actually gonna, you're gonna open your home. And what it looks like for me, it's not going to look the exact same for you. It's going to it's going to be different based on your disposition and where you are. But we've got to have each other. It's remnant or revival, and and in the meantime, while we're remnant, we we've got to uh, pour into each other's lives. So when, when you say not, when you say to say no, sometimes mm-hmm. how do you know that if you say no, you're going to be the stumbling block to somebody else? That's my beast. You. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't always. You can't always know that. Um, I would go back to the four steps I did. So look at scripture. Am I in direct violation of scripture if I say no? And then I would go to, um, is the Holy Spirit prompting me or am I feeling guilt? So God's not going to work. He's not going to accuse you in terms of making you feel lots of guilt. He'll convict you. But um, so I I would examine that. And then I would do wise counsel. If my husband says, no, Renee, that's enough, then I submit to that, which he's actually said to me recently. <laughs> Renee, that's enough. And, and then, but then if we do think, no, no, this is, this, is, this is where we should go, we walk faithfully and follow it through. I mean, I felt that way. Have you ever, like, said yes to something, and then, like, you were like, um, I think this was me saying yes, yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you can only know that in hindsight. Right, yeah, sure. And so, again, the providential yeah. will of God has grace for that. Yeah, that's right. He's he's got like he can work out his purposes. Right. 
we're just we're doing our our best and so we've just blessed you we bless those children god reveal to her what's going on in the hearts of those children give her multiply her energy multiply her work and we come against any demonic trailers nastiness that they're bringing in with them from the people who have let them down from the people who have brought that into their lives we say no and get it out in jesus name we fill your house with the peace of god the joy of the lord is your strength we bless you for that work it's hard thanks y'all Hey, I just wanted to hop on here to let you know that this coming Wednesday, I will not be releasing a new episode. I am currently working on five new episodes from track sessions from this year's Exponential Conference, where discipleship.org talked to everybody about disciple-making movements. You're going to be hearing from Bobby Harrington, our point leader, also Harry Brown, Dan Lights, Jim Putman, and Paul Hugenbart. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you know when I drop those. I'm planning for them to come out this coming Saturday, June 25th, and you'll be able to listen to all five of those right away. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on those next five episodes coming out this Saturday.